Welcome to episode 10 of Kept Secrets. I'm your host, Nikki Rothrock. This podcast is a way that I try and help anyone who has experienced childhood trauma. Today is episode 10, and this will wrap up season one of Kept Secrets. So tonight, I had a really hard time trying to figure out what I wanted to discuss because, you know, you just kind of had a rough day at work and I just wasn't really in the mindset. But after talking to a couple listeners and kind of taking a minute to like reel my mental health back in today, um, I decided to talk about 10 ways to heal. And this list comes out of psychology today. There's obviously 10 things on the list and I'm just going to kind of go through it and talk about what I experienced during each one of these things. So I'll go one by one and then this is just going to be kind of a mini episode to wrap up the first season. So I plan on coming back after the holidays. I have, you know, we have Thanksgiving and Christmas and before Christmas I have a vacation that I'll be going on with my husband and stepsons. So I want to kind of put focus on that and kind of live in the moment. So I hope that you understand, but I'm super excited to come back at the first of the year and see where we are. Hopefully I can find those blasted journals that I've been looking for. Um, Okay. So 10 ways to heal according to psychology today. Number one, acknowledge what happened. In my case, I had to come to the realization that when I was having these out, like, what was I trying to say? I had, I had these moments of acting out when I was a teenager and even in my early twenties, um, you know, just kind of willy nilly with things, don't really pay attention to consequences, stuff like that. And I don't remember exactly what made me stop and realize now I'm sure some of it had to do with, um, seeking my own spiritual path and realizing that the, the path that I was on was not exactly a healthy one. And so I had to stop and think about it. And, and I had to think about things that Beth and I had worked on years before when I was in my early teens. And then just kind of realizing that my acting out had a lot to do with being hurt. And you could probably relate to that because when someone is hurt, they typically get defensive, they get angry, um, they tend to do things that might self-harm, you know, maybe they turn to drugs or alcohol a little bit more than someone who might just be a social drinker. Um, They may turn to maybe a promiscuous lifestyle. I'm kind of guilty of that. I hate admitting that, but you know, that's my truth. So in my late teens and early twenties, um, very like my first year in my twenties, because I think I was like 21 or 22 when I decided, you know, I kind of need to grow up a little bit and not act like a fool all the time and do things that are stupid. Um, I got tired of feeling 
just, I can't even explain that feeling of just broken. Nobody loves me. Nobody's going to understand me. Um, I was looking for that relationship with Ryan all over again after he and I broke up. No one could fill that void. And I just had to acknowledge, you know, I'm broken because people hurt me and abused me and used me and threw me away. So I acknowledge that. Um, I acknowledged it quite a bit in my mid-20s when I was working with Beth and came up with my list of um, 21 perpetrators. That's a little bit sobering as an adult, thinking of of a child or a teenager who just keeps getting hurt over and over again and misused. And I'm not... I'm not 100% blaming the perpetrators because I was looking for something. I don't know what it was. I don't know exactly what it was other than love, attention, affection, and things like that. Things I was not getting in my life. Things I didn't get as a child. So acknowledging it and just being like, you know, it happened now what? (laughs) So the next thing kind of leads into my relationship with Beth and it's the psychotherapy. You know, you've got to change your way of thinking. You can't always be the victim. You can't always be, and some people may not be ready to hear that and that's okay, but you, you can't always be like, well, you know, uncle Bill is, you know, it's his fault that I am the way that I am. Partially true, but you have to take responsibility for your own actions. And by getting some psychotherapy and understanding that you can change your thinking and you, with this cognitive behavioral therapy, you can, um, there's all kinds of, you can do spirituality therapy. Um, I was talking with a listener today who actually is someone I went to school with and she was talking about that EMDR treatment that, uh, Is it rapid eye movement or something like that? That stuff, I did talk to Beth about that recently, and that was not something that was available when I was going through treatment. Um, But my friend and the listener, she, she said that it really helps her identify triggers and helps with her anxiety. So you may try that. EMDR. Or eye movement. I don't, I think that's what it is. I can't remember. I apologize for that, but so finding a way to work through your mental health and work through the thinking errors and the things and having someone who is educated enough that they can help you and they know, I mean, because a lot of times, you know, there are the rare occasions when it's not, but a lot of times our abuse is textbook abuse and by that I mean we are acting out in a way that is clearly a textbook thing it has been studied it has been decided that these are things that are a side effect or a reason the reason is because of the abuse so that's what I mean when I say textbook um I didn't know that a lot of my acting out as a teenager was because of the pain and the abuse and the trauma. 
But as an adult, I do know that. So um, we'll talk about that a couple in a couple more down because I think I can cover that a little bit better. Uh, so finding someone that you can work on your mental mental state and your mental well-being. So psychotherapy is typically the best way to go. You can do group therapy. You can do one-on-one therapy. Um, you can now for me personally, group therapy was a hell no, no way, Jose was you gonna get me into a group. I tried it um, in my early twenties, and I I liked the socialness of it, but I did not feel comfortable revealing all of the stuff that I was dealing with. So if you're looking for people to relate to, group therapy is great. Um, even a, a, a support group for people who have been through sexual trauma or whatever your trauma is, you know, there are, there are support groups for that. You can find them at churches. You can just Google support groups in my area for X, Y, and Z, and a list will pop up. Most of the time they're at churches because the church lets the group use their facility. And it's usually sometimes at hospitals too. Okay, so group therapy, one-on-one psychotherapy. Um, The next one is grief. This one was rough for me because I didn't realize that a lot of the stuff I was feeling was grief. Um, I, I mourned a lot of relationships with adults in my life. I mourned the relationship with my mother. And the mother I wanted or I thought that I deserved. Um, I mourned the physical, uh, the physical mother that I had. Um, but grief, I think, in this, this context is when you have been hurt, there is just a sadness and just a deflated feeling, hopeless feeling. Um, You just feel like nobody's going to understand what you have been through. And grieving the things that... I'm trying to figure out how to explain this. Grieving the things that you wished that you had or that you deserved, the, the good things that you deserved... That's where I was in it. I had to grieve the childhood that I wanted, you know, like in one of my blog entries, I talked about things that if I was Nikki's mother, the things that I would have done for her. And one thing was Saturday morning breakfast, pancakes, you know, made with mom and, you know, tucking me in at night and having a bed that had clean sheets and clean, you know, clean towels in our bathroom and electricity all year round and you know just I grieved the fact that I didn't have a lot but I I also wasn't really wanting or needing anything at the time I know that that sounds a little bit backwards but you know I did have food obviously because I was a very obese child it may not have been the most healthy of food but I still ate I did have shelter. It may not have been clean. It may not have been um, (laughs) heated. (laughs) 
but I did have shelter. I had a bed to sleep in. It may not have had sheets on it. I may have only had one pillow and one comforter that probably smelled like dog pee, but I had those. And I didn't need anything more than that. I mean, sure, it would have been great <laughs> to have that stuff, but I'm I'm just saying that I did have them. Um, I didn't have... I didn't go to the doctor much. I didn't go to the dentist until I was like 18. And I went because I had a toothache and I had a tooth pulled. Now, it was like a year and a half after that that I decided, oh, well, I have health insurance. I can go and get my teeth cleaned. I didn't know that was an option. I didn't know that the tooth that I had pulled could have just easily been filled. And then it would have saved my tooth. The surgeon said nothing. He just pulled the tooth because that was what I asked him to do. I had no idea because the neglect was so strong in that area that I didn't get to go to the dentist. Um, so as an adult, that's something that, you know, <laughs> I get a little honked off about it because I think, you know, it wasn't that difficult to take me to a, clin a clinic or something to get my teeth cleaned as a kid, but it wasn't a priority to my mom. I found out many years later that I had health insurance, but mom never used it because my dad paid for it. Um, that was, that kind of pissed me off a little bit <laughs> because I was like, man, you know, I didn't go, I had to go as a kid to get my shots for school. But as an adult, or an older child, I guess, not adult, but I went one time at the age of 16. I had a really bad feminine infection. And I remember my mom going with me. The, um, the doctor was extremely judgmental toward my mother. And she was angry not angry, but she was visibly disturbed at the fact that I had this infection because it was caused by an, um, an allergic reaction to something on a condom. It wasn't like the latex or whatever, but it was, it was like a, a really bad yeast infection, I think. And the doctor asked my mom if she knew that I was sexually active. And my mom said, yeah. And that doctor was kind of pissed off at it like just she didn't like my mom's answer and so when we left there my mom was so pissed off at me because she's like I never want to feel like that again and they, that lady completely judged me and I hate snooty people and yada 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 when in reality I think that doctor saw some of the damage that I had because of my childhood trauma not because I was sexually active with my boyfriend at the time, but she saw how damaged like my cervix was, things like that. So I had, talking about grief, like, you know, the neglect was just so, so strong, so bad that I didn't know that it was neglect until I was an adult. And I had to process that in a way that, I'm like, you know, I had a really crappy 
childhood, but I made it through that and I'm an adult. And if I have a female infection, I go to the doctor. It's pretty cool. You know, I have health insurance. I go to the doctor. I can go to the dentist. I can, you know, I can go to the therapist if I need to, you know, um, things like that were not, not something on our radar as when I was a kid. And I, I kind of wish that it was because I think maybe the abuse had might have been found sooner. Um, so I had to grieve that. Um, and then grieving the loss of Tom and by the loss of him, I mean, the fact that he ripped himself out of our family and left me hanging there in this completely... There's kind of two different ways that he left. Like, he left and I was like, thank freaking God he's gone. I can breathe and do what I want. I can talk to talk to Ryan and I can, you know, talk on the phone with people and not have him in the background. But then I also was grieving that... Um, that connection that I felt and that protection that I thought he, you know, the protection I thought he was offering to me when in reality that was so skewed and so wrong. Um, so that grief, you know, I had to grieve the, the thought of this little girl. I found, I found some pictures tonight. I was looking for my stupid journals (laughs) and I found a picture of me in um, second grade and my hair was clean my shirt didn't have a stain on it I still had a little double chin I had that thing since the day I was born and I have a picture to prove it um, I just look at this picture and I'm sad you know I grieve the fact that this little girl in this picture this was before any sexual abuse And then you skip ahead two years and I see the picture of me in that, you know, I've, I've gained quite a bit of weight. (laughs) My hair is clean, but it's horrible. Um, you know, I had lost my teeth and they were growing in and my glasses were too small for my round chubby face. Um, the outfit I had on was an outfit that my stepmother bought for me. And this little girl, this is when the abuse started in my home before Tom. It was just, um, it was with a family member. And I probably shouldn't talk much about that one because I, I grew to love that person a lot. And I had to make a decision in my life to either not have anything to do with this person or to forgive them and move past it. And I chose to forgive him and move past it. So grief is, it is part of this process. And there are five stages in grief. I learned this in high school. Remember DABDA, D-A-B-D-A. You've got denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. DABDA, D-A-B-D-A. Now, those five stages could come in many different forms. You can feel like you've accepted something and then all of a sudden you're feeling depressed about something. Or you are denying the fact that maybe something happened. Or, 
you know, a lot of times those five stages have to do with the, the death of someone or losing something when, in my case, yes, I did go through grief and losing loved ones and friends and family, but I also had to go through those stages when I was working through the trauma. So um, I may do an episode on grief because I think that that's a really broad topic, but I think it could be discussed a little bit further. But number four is identifying your triggers. That one can be really hard when you honestly have no idea what the triggers are. So for example, um, one that I've talked about quite often is the Andy Griffith show and the sound of the television and the whistling and in, in the show intro. So I don't think I realized that that was a trigger for me until I was an adult. And I remembered that I hated the show. I hated, I hate anything in black and white. That is, that has always been my, I just don't like black and white shows. I don't like kid movies and I don't like black and white movies. And, um, realizing that this show was playing in the background during the first summer of my sexual abuse with Tom, it was on every single day. So I associated mentally that show and that sound, even the sound of Andy Griffith's voice and that Barney Fife guy, what was his name, Don Knotts? He is also a trigger for me. So understanding that, okay, I hear this sound and I stop and I have a physiological response to it. My heart rate goes up. My breathing changes. Um, I, I feel that gut feeling of, uh, like ick, like something, uh, like, and then as I got older, I was able to understand that I felt those feelings because that show was on in the background. And my brain associated those uh, feelings with that song or that intro to the show. So for a long time, like, I don't know if any of you guys even remember who Phil Donahue was. He was a talk show host back in the late 80s when this happened. Um, the midday shows were like Phil Donahue, Oprah Winfrey, Ricky Lake, um, talk show was, they were bananas. Like it was, it was a lot. Um, sorry, Archie's whining at me. So the talk shows, I didn't, I did not enjoy watching those as I got older and I couldn't figure out why until I sat and I thought about it. So a lot of times, um, if those reruns come on or, you know, something's on TV or whatever, and it triggers me, I'm like, wait, I'm having a reaction. Why? Um, other triggers that I have are, um, smells. There's a a smell of gasoline and oil. Now this one is a tricky one for me because it's a trigger Because it reminds me of Tom and my younger years 
working in the garage with him, not working, but I was in the garage with him while he was working. Paint, he was painting his race cars, things like that. So that trigger was something that it took me a minute. I'm going to have to let the dogs out. You can sing it. Who let the dogs out? I did. Sorry, guys. Hopefully these two heathens will go outside and just hang out for a little bit. Go ahead. Pretty sure that Belle might have passed gas right in front of me and it stinks. So <laughs> anyway, so triggers, the paint and the oil and the gasoline. Now those are tricky for me because... I do associate them with him, with Tom, but I also like those smells. So you guys know that I enjoy going to short track races in the summer. Well, each particular class of cars has their own unique smell based on the gas that they use. So the one car that I really like is the figure eight car. And that smell is different than the smell of exhaust fumes, you know, junky cars, stuff like that. It's different, but it's in the same category. So just the other day, I'm driving on the, down the street with my husband and some truck in front of me had the worst exhaust leak ever. And it was coming through our, our uh, air vent. And I was like, dude, that car stinks. But in my head, I, you know, I stopped and I thought, it smells like the truck that we used to drive when I was a kid. But it, it was literally a passing thought. That smell was a trigger. I identified it and I moved past it. No anxiety, nothing like that. It was just something that I was able to put with that. Another trigger, sound. There is a song that anytime I hear it, it was from the 90s, the early 90s by Brian Adams. A lot of people, it was one of those stupid love songs. Um... Anytime I hear it, I will literally stop in my tracks. And I have to remember in that moment, yes, this is a song that Tom used to tell me was, quote unquote, our song, part of the manipulation. That's all it was. It was manipulation. The song is an okay song, but I don't have to listen to it. So I have this dialogue with myself in my, my mind And I'm able to move past it. Now, that has happened many times. Um, That song will come on. I don't even know why I have it on my, my iTunes account. I honestly don't know. But every once in a while, it'll be on shuffle in my car. And I'm like, (laughs) and I'm like, I go past it because I don't want to, I don't want to feel that. But I know that that song is a trigger for me. So I don't want to feel it. I turn it and I'm like, yep, we're not doing that today. And we go on. So it's not like 
it's not like I'm avoiding or what is the word I'm looking for? Not avoiding. Um, hold on. It's, I don't remember what the word is. <laughs> it's, I'm not in denial. I know what it is. I know you get your treats. It's, it's just one of those things that I have to acknowledge and move past. So another sound, this one is a, this one is one that I don't hear very often now, which is good, but I don't have any more, buddy. Um, another, another sound is a squeaker toy and it's annoying. (laughs) When I was young, I know that I've told you guys that I had some serious jealousy issues. Tom played me and my mother against each other. To me. I don't think he actually did it with my, like, played her against me, but he would say things to me to make me not trust my mom. Things that would make me not like her. He went as far one time as to tell me that she was having a love affair with one of her friend's husbands and then proceeded to tell me how she was having this love affair. And I was like, I don't freaking care, you know? So anyway, the sound that I'm talking about is in the old homes that I lived in, the door lock, the little pop lock on the bedroom doors where all you have to do is literally take like a screwdriver and you poke it through the hole on the other side and it unlocks the door. That is a sound that to this day will stop me in my tracks and give me the willies. Because when I heard that door lock, that meant that mom and her husband, who is also my abuser, Tom, were in the bedroom and they were going to be intimate. And that would make me so sick and so angry. Just to this day, hearing that sound, anything that sounds like that little pop, I have to be like, okay, Nick, (laughs) bring it down because this is not happening right now. Like it's, I know that it's literally just a sound from my past and I can move past that. So just acknowledge it and move past it. Um, I don't think I have a trigger that is a taste. Um, So that's good. But identifying your triggers. It could be anything. But when you start to feel like you have anxiety, think about what just happened. Think about anything in the last 24 to 48 hours that may have happened or remind you of your childhood trauma or adult trauma, whatever it was that you went through. And just try to put the pieces together in your head. I promise you, once you're able to do that, your panic attacks will start getting fewer and fewer. Um, I had a really, really, really stressful day at work today. It seemed like everything that I touched 
was just bonkers. It just wasn't happening. And because I'm in finance, the end of the month was is tomorrow. And so my team, we were working really hard to get things done. And typically, if I have one of those days where the stress is really, really high, I have to remember when I get home that night to bring it down a notch, my anxiety. Because if I don't, I could have bad dreams. I could not sleep well. I know that stress is a trigger for my PTSD. So knowing that tonight, when I go to get ready for bed, I I will have a different nightly routine. So I might read instead of playing on my phone. Um, I don't do that a lot because I hate reading, as you all know. But you know, I, I will try to do something that's a little bit more soothing than watching serial killer documentaries. However, I like serial killer documentaries. <laughs> I would rather watch them than any Disney movie. And I don't know why. So I guess I'm just messed up like that. But so identifying your triggers. And if you, um, you know, there's books that you can get. I don't know any off the top of my head. There's, you know, all kinds of resources online, even on like um, TikTok or whatever, just type in identifying trauma triggers. And I, I'm pretty sure that you can find ways to identify those. Okay. Number five, breaking the cycle. When, when I was able to tell Ryan that Tom abused me sexually in that moment, I knew I would never abuse a child the way that I was abused, ever. If anything, I would be super overprotective. And at that time, you know, I thought maybe I'd have my own kids, whatever. But I would not be repeating the cycle. So... Let me give you a little bit of an example. And this is speculation. This is not a proven thing. I just want to use it as an example because I think in my gut, I think this is truth, but it has never been verified or proven. So two of the people are no longer with us. So I have no way of finding out the real truth. Okay. That being said, The example is my mother and her father. Um, Like I said before, um, I love my family. And when I was in treatment, my mother's behavior over the years was really weird. And by that I mean... She seemed to turn a blind eye to a lot. You know, the fact that I was sexually active with my boyfriend at 16 years old who was living in our home, she thought she could trust us. I'm like, really? Because that's kind of dumb. Because we're teenagers, or I was a teenager and he was in, you know, he was older and, you know, the hormones were just flying around there. I don't, I don't know how she didn't know, but she said she trusted us, whatever. Whatever that means. So an example of a cycle. 
uh, my mother depended a lot financially on her father as an adult. And by that, I mean any vehicle she needed, he would get her. And I don't mean like brand new vehicles. I mean, it would be like a vehicle that he just drove. He'd go get another vehicle and he would pass this one to her. She didn't have to pay for them. He gave them to her. Um, When I was 12 or 13 and we moved into his home because he moved to his mother's house because she had been ill, um, I found out later that my mother and Tom very seldom paid rent to live there. They were just expecting my grandfather to foot the bill financially. Anytime um, that my mother needed help financially, my granddad was there helping her. And it was getting a little bit ridiculous, honestly. So, you know, here I am as a mid-20-year-old, and I'm, I'm going through um, my own financial situations. You know, I'm, I'm buying a home. I have a car payment. You know, I've got student loans and all of this, and I'm expected to help my mother financially. Um, I don't really know why she expected me to help her. But she did, her and my brother. So moving forward a little bit, during therapy, I didn't understand why my granddad helped her so much. And it was brought to my attention that possibly there was abuse in my mother's younger years. And the financial support he was giving her was quote unquote guilt money. And I don't know if that's true because he said things to me um, as an adult, you know, like family's supposed to help family no matter what. Yeah, but when they're freaking taking advantage of you, they're using your credit card, which was supposed to be for emergencies. They're using it to go to freaking Taco Bell twice a day and to go out drinking and get a haircut. And, you know, it's not free money. And they... My mother used this credit card as free money. I would never do that to my dad. So I didn't understand why she felt it was okay to to behave this way. Guilt money is a possibility. You know, she was like, well... And I I asked her uh, years later in life, um, if she had any memories of being abused and she said, no, if I was, I must've blocked it out. And that is a big possibility. Um, I don't know. Uh, so breaking the cycle. Well, the cycle is she was abused. She continued the cycle by bringing abusive men into our lives. Therefore, I was abused many times over. Now, had I not gotten treatment, had I not turned Tom in to the authorities, things like that, I had children, most likely, if the cycle continued, my children would be sexually abused by my spouse. That is the cycle. You know, one person gets abused, They don't understand 
that the person that they're with is very similar to their abuser. Therefore, their children are getting abused and then they don't get treatment. Their children are abused. Another cycle example, Tom. Tom admittedly was abused by his own father and he never sought treatment. Therefore, what did he do to me? He did the same things to me that his father did. Only it was a lot more manipulative. Oh, so much more. It wasn't just physical sex. It was the mental mind twisted thing. <laughs> I almost slipped a little bit because I used to call it mind effing. You know, use the F word. Because it's literally what it was. Um, but breaking the cycle, I broke that cycle so that no one after me in my downline, generational downline, whatever. I'm not, I don't have children, but I will not ever do that to a child, period. I know that. So I broke that cycle. Tom and my mother did not break the cycle of abuse that they went through. Therefore, I had to suffer and go through that abuse. I will not let that happen to my children or my stepchildren or my niece or nephew. That's it. Okay. Breaking the cycle. You can also Google that because there's a lot of different examples. Um, I only have about 20 minutes or so left. So number six is alternative treatments. I don't really have a great example on that other than, you know, if you don't feel like you need to reach out to a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a support group and you just want to do these things on your own, you can do meditation treatment. You can do um, even acupuncture, I think, is something that helps with physical trauma. Um, you could do... I think there's even like a hydrotherapy. I don't know. I don't know. I've never done that. Um, but there are lots of other things. You could you could read self-help books. You could listen to podcasts like mine. And, <laughs> you know, you can relate to someone who has been through trauma and maybe apply what they did to help themselves help you. So that would be an example of an alternative tra alternative tre treatment. Excuse me. Um, number seven, depression and anxiety. I'm pretty confident that the person listening to this, if you have been abused, you suffer from depression, anxiety, possibly PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, you may have an eating disorder. You may be a gamble, like a... An, a um, you may have a gambling problem. You may have a shopping addiction. You may have a drug addiction. You may have, be an alcoholic. There are so many things that are side effects because of this abuse or trauma. For myself, depression, anxiety, and PTSD are the worst. And obesity. Um, I blame the, the, the trauma on the... Hold on. <laughs> I blame the obesity being a side effect because... <clears throat> As I said earlier, I was a chubby kid, but I do believe that I would have grown out of that, like a lot of other kids do. But because of the abuse, I turned to food. I turned to things that tasted good, things that made me happy. 
and thinks that I could escape my physical pain. You know, and I'm not talking about the physical pain of the actual act of the sexual abuse, just the pain that you, and you know what I'm talking about. That pain of self-loathing, the pain of wondering why the person abused you the way that they did and why they picked you, the pain of not being like everyone else that you think you're not like everyone else, um, that stuff can really get you down. And I did um, a report or a presentation on the the limbic system in the brain. It is back around your spinal cord and where it um, attaches to your your head, which there's like this little, I don't know, like a little baseball size area called the limbic system. And in there, there's your hypothalamus, your hippocampus, your thalamus, and your amygdala. I think that's right. Um, and your amygdala, I used to love saying that word because it just sounded funny, amygdala. <laughs> it is the size of an almond in your brain. And that sucker triggers your emotional stuff. So the presentation that I did was how your brain changes when you are sexually abused. And that amygdala holds on to that. And when it's triggered, it causes a a reaction. Um, I don't really remember a lot about it. I know I got an A on the presentation because the teacher said that nobody had ever explained sexual trauma and the amygdala connection and like things like that. So she was pretty impressed with that. But it's very interesting how when I was going through college even, I was learning how to heal myself, if that makes any sense. So depression and anxiety will be something that I will probably talk about in a whole episode later because it's such a big topic. Anxiety, I suffer from that. Um, I haven't had as bad of a time because I'm able to identify my triggers and process the grief. And I've had psychotherapy. You know, I'm able to work through that. Um, Another one, number eight, is spirituality. That was something that was a big, big deal for me because that relationship that I found with God and Christ was a love that I have never felt before, that unconditional love that no matter what you do, they love you. By they, I mean Christ and God. They love you. And when I finally made that connection and I allowed them to love me, it was pretty cool. You know, it really helped get through the other stuff, the yucky stuff. Because you have prayer, you can you can talk to your higher power, you have um, meditation. I guess you could meditate and really. I don't know how meditation really works. I tried it as part of my treatment years ago, and I it just didn't work for me. So prayer was a big thing. You know, it was like that night that I had that three hour long panic attack. I was like, God, please just take my life. I can't handle this. 
But what really happened was God actually like took my pain and told me that it was okay to move past that pain. And I did. So, you know, I'm not trying to sound weird or I, and I would never try to push my religion on anybody, but that is what worked for me. Um, that relationship, whew, it needs some work now because I think I got a little bit carried away with just living my life and not making my relationship with God a priority after everything that, that he has done for me. I haven't made him a priority. And that is bad shame on me because that's not okay. Um, and if you have any questions about that part of it, please reach out to me. I'm not, by any means, I am not a uh, teacher of God, you know, of the Bible or anything like that. So, but I'm, I would love to t- stop. Archie's being a little turd. I'm not gonna um, push anything on you. So I'm almost done. And I think he knows that number nine, helping the next generation. That kind of goes back to breaking the cycle, helping the next generation. Like I feel like I finally am at a place in my life where I can tell my story and I don't feel like people are going to judge me too much. (laughs) Um, And I feel like that I have been through the muck of it and I feel like I can help somebody and offer them just a little bit of hope and let them know that, you know, life can be really shitty and life can knock you flat on your ass. But with a little bit of work and determination, you can pick yourself up and you can move on to a much, much better place in life. Um... So helping the next generation is kind of something that I personally and just now getting to, um, you know, I, I've given the present, the, the testimony at church. I have, um, written lots of papers on the subject. I actually had a girl at my church who wrote a paper about me for one of her classes. And, you know, I was able to tell my story in a brief way. And, you know, she found out things about me that she didn't know. And that's great because it kind of, at that time, it made us a little bit closer. Um, so helping the next generation is really important when you experience trauma and you can see when things happen to other people, I think, and you can encourage them You can offer advice. Obviously, they don't have to take it, but you can offer it because you've been through it. And that is your contribution to helping someone else get through the trauma. Uh, Last one, number 10. And this one could be a doozy. Um, It's let go if you can. Letting go of the trauma and the abuse and the life that you led at that time, because that abuse, it took me a really long time not to offer that up as almost like a confession when I was meeting people, 
by, for example, um, uh, people that I met in men that I tried to date, that was one of the things that I would tell them. Yeah, I went through this abuse and yada, yada, yada. Because I felt like if they could accept that, that they would like me, you know, if they, they would like me regardless of the abuse. Now, uh, some people are just like, whoa, that's too much information. And then I knew, okay, I can't share this with this person, but whatever. So I felt like the abuse defined me, I guess. I felt like if I didn't tell somebody that I was in a new friendship or relationship with, that if they found out they would dump me like a sack of potatoes and wouldn't want anything to do with me. Because, and that is just because I felt like the abuse defined me. But it didn't, and it doesn't. Yes, I went through it, and I went through some really rough stuff. And I'm sure you have gone through some rough stuff too. But that doesn't mean that you are a bad person. And it doesn't mean that you can't pick yourself up by your bootstraps and kick the world's ass. You know, you can, if you want a job, start figuring out what you have to do to get that job. You know, if you want a certain type of lifestyle and you know you have to make more money, then kick kick ass and make the changes that you need to make at your job now so that you can move up and you can make more money and you can have that lifestyle that you want. It took me um, a lot of encouragement um, from Beth and, you know, realizing that I am in control of my life. Tom doesn't control me. You know, the other abusers in my life don't control me. I do. And when you realize that, it's like, whew, the open road is much longer and it is right in front of you. And all you have to do is go for what you want. So that being said, if you're letting go of the bad stuff, you only have room for the good stuff. Now, don't let your guard down. Don't socialize with people that give you that that red flag feeling in your gut. Don't socialize with them because that means you have a gut reaction and you don't want to ignore that. So that is all that I have for today. Um, The 10, again, we're acknowledging what happened, psychotherapy, grief, identifying your triggers, breaking the cycle, alternative treatments, depression and anxiety, spirituality, helping the next generation, and let go if you can. And that was from Psychology Today. Um, I am literally right down to the wire on time, so I'm going to shut this down for now. I hope that you have a great day. I hope that you learned something that you can use this week and for the, you know, remainder of your treatment or your time. Um, And I just hope that you have a kick-ass day tomorrow. You get some good rest tonight and you wake up and you're ready to move past things tomorrow. Till next time.